When I was about 11 or 12 years old, I had the opportunity to go with my friend and his family to visit their lake cabin in northern Minnesota. And while we were there, one day my friend's parents decided to let us take their fishing boat out all by ourselves. So we cranked up the motor, headed out to the middle of the lake, dropped the anchor, and went fishing. When we were done fishing, we pulled up the anchor and cranked the motor, and nothing happened. So we fiddled with the motor and cranked it and fiddled and cranked, and we could not get the motor started again. By the time my friend's parents realized we were in trouble, got another boat and came out to get us, we had floated practically to the other side of the lake. See, here's the thing about boats. Boats don't drift in good directions. A boat is never going to randomly take you where you want to go. Boats don't drift in good directions, and neither do people. We will never accidentally gravitate towards becoming the type of people that God wants us to be, to have the type of influence that God wants us to have. We don't get there randomly. It's about making intentional choices. And today, we're going to talk about a choice that can set the trajectory for our lives. It will either result in getting to participate in bringing God's kingdom here on earth or not. Good morning. My name is Ben Lee. My family and I have been coming to Central for the past 24 years. It's always a privilege whenever Pastor Jeff gives me the opportunity to share the message. So whether you're watching online or whether you're worshiping here, I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us. And if you're worshiping here, I'm especially glad because you're adding your body heat to this room and making it just a little bit more comfortable. We will be taking a one-week break from our sermon series looking at the book of John for this morning. All right, we're going to be talking about choices that we need to make. And so to get us ready for that, why don't we warm up our choice-making muscles? We're going to play a game called Would You Rather? I'm going to show you two pictures, and I want you to decide, would you rather choose picture one or picture two? I'll start off with an easy one. Would you rather inherit a skunk farm or a million dollars? That's a pretty easy decision, right? We would all choose the million dollars. This next one's pretty easy, too. Would you rather eat broccoli or donuts? Certainly, we would all choose the donuts. The single greatest aspect of being an adult is that no one can ever make me eat broccoli ever again. This next one's a little bit harder. What about when both choices are good? Would you rather have donuts or ice cream? See, choices can get harder. But what about when the choices are a lot more significant? What about when the stakes are higher? How do we choose then? There was a leader in the Old Testament named Joshua, and he knew that choices mattered, and he wanted to make sure that his followers made the wise choice. Let's take a look at that passage of Scripture today. It's found in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to dive right in, beginning with verse 1. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. At this moment, Joshua has been leading the Israelite people for quite some time, and now he's nearing the end of his life, and he has one last message for his people. 
Now, Joshua has a lot of street cred with this audience. He wasn't just a leader. There's no one that holds more influence over these people at this time than Joshua. See, Joshua orchestrated the victory over Canaan, which is known as the promised land. God had promised this region to the people of Israel, but when they got there, there were already people living there. But Joshua trusted God's promise, and he followed God's lead. And through a fascinating series of events involving the Ark of the Covenant, which contains the Ten Commandments, and spies, and a prostitute, and a military strategy that involves marching around the walls of a city playing musical instruments, the Israelites were victorious, and they entered the Promised Land. And the story continues to get more and more interesting under Joshua's leadership. The Israelite army keeps expanding their reach. They're defeating opposing kings and dividing up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. At one point, Joshua asks God to make the sun stand still in the sky so that they would have more time to defeat the opposing army. And the sun stands still. So Joshua is a respected and a feared leader. Anyone who can make the sun stand still is sure to have an audience. And so when he has his final message for the people, they are listening. And when he says they have a choice to make, they are all ears. Let's go back to the scripture. Verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt." Joshua starts his message by telling the people a story they knew really well, because it's their story. He's speaking on behalf of God, and he's reminding them of all of the ways that God has been at work throughout their history, how God has made promises and how he has kept his promises to them. And then he continues, and he talks about God guiding Moses and Aaron when they convinced Pharaoh to let them go when they were being held as slaves in Egypt. And he continues the story by reminding them about all the military battles that they fought and they won because God was on their side. And then he wraps up this story time with this word from God. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities that you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. In other words, all of the good things that happened to the people of Israel weren't of their own doing. It was God acting on their behalf that provided all of the victories and all of the blessings that they're experiencing in the promised land. And now that Joshua has reminded them of all these things, he's ready to offer his challenge to the people that he's been leading, to the people that he cares so much about. And he offers them a choice. And the choice that he offers those people is the same choice that we have to make, too. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua tells them that they have to make a choice. And it's the most important choice that they can make at this point. And it's the most important choice that Joshua made. And it's the most important choice that we will make too. Choose this day whom you'll serve. This was a really powerful sentence at that time. And it's a really powerful sentence for us now for a couple of reasons. First, Joshua did not say, choose this day in whom you believe. He said, choose who you serve. See, there's a big difference between believing in God and serving God. The Israelites believed in God, and they also believed in other gods. Joshua references that some of them are tempted to serve the gods that their parents and their grandparents served, and others were tempted to serve the gods of the people of the land that they're living in. Belief is not the same thing as service. You're likely here today or watching online today because you believe in God. And that's good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're serving him. You might be, and I hope that you are. But 83% of people in America say they believe in God. And I think we would all agree that 83% of people in America are not serving him. There are so many people that choose to believe that there is a God and they stop there. I want to be clear, believing in God's a good thing. You'll never get to a point in life where you can choose to serve him if you don't first believe in him. But Joshua's talking to an audience that already believes in God. They just haven't all bought in. And so Joshua is encouraging his people and he's encouraging us. And it's kind of like he has his own twist on the popular song by Journey. He says, don't stop with just believing. Make a decision. Choose to serve God. Commit your life to him. The second important point in that sentence is this. Joshua said, choose whom you'll serve. He didn't say, choose if you will serve. We will all serve someone or something. Our lives are going to be spent in service to one kind or another. And Joshua's saying, be intentional about who or what you serve. Make a decision. Make a commitment. The biggest threats to service to God in Joshua's day were false gods. Today, I see a different threat in our lives. One big area where people are choosing to place their service when they choose to place their service somewhere other than to God. Before I tell you what that is, though, let me walk through how we make these sorts of decisions. See, the reality is you will serve what you trust. You will serve what you trust. Wherever you put your trust is where you will ultimately place your service. And so when Joshua is asking them to decide whom they'll serve, he's also asking, who do you trust? Joshua understood this dynamic between trust and service really well, and that's why when he challenged the Israelites with this choice, he first reminded them of all of the ways that God had provided for them. Let's go back and look at verse 12 again. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil. It was a brilliant leadership move. He wanted them to know that they could trust God for the future. That all the good things in their lives came not by their own work, but from a God who loves them. 
He knew that trust is hope for the next time based on the last time. That if he could remind the people about all that God had done for them in the past, that they could trust that he would continue to provide for them. And that since God would be providing for them, they didn't need to look to other places. That they could be confident in God's provision and therefore by trusting in him, the next natural decision is to commit to living in service to him. See, looking to the past as an indicator of the future is a really good tool. I'll give you a couple of examples of how that works. Last year, I ran a half marathon. And I hadn't raced a half marathon in quite some time. And so the night before the race, I was a little bit nervous. I felt like I wasn't going to be able to hit the time goal that I had for myself. So I got out my phone and I pulled up the Strava running app where I had recorded all of the workouts that I had done over the course of the year. And I looked back at all of the runs that I had completed. And I could see this 10-mile run on a really hot Saturday morning. And that 11-mile run with my friend, Nate, and this 12-mile run where I wanted to throw up and quit, but I didn't. And looking at all of those past runs gave me confidence that I would be able to complete the half marathon in the goal that I had set out for myself. Looking to the past as an indicator to the future is a good tool. The writers of Star Wars use this tool as well. See, in the first Star Wars movie, the bad guys made the Death Star. It is a space station that was used to blow up other planets. And when the good guys found out about the Death Star, they stole the battle plans, the construction plans, and they found a flaw in the plans, and they exploited them, and they were able to use those plans to blow up the Death Star. A couple of movies later, the bad guys are building another Death Star. The good guys steal the construction plans, find a flaw in the plan, exploit it, and blow up the Death Star. A couple of movies later, the bad guys build something called Star Killer Base, which looks really familiar to a Death Star. And one of the good guys says, how do we blow it up? There's always a way to do that. They found a way and they blew it up. They had confidence in the next time based on the last time. And with my running story, I was looking to have confidence in physical training to prepare me for a physical challenge. And in Star Wars, of course, that's just fiction. But in Joshua's case, he was telling them to look to the God of the universe and that they could have confidence in him and his perfect track record. Now let's talk about God's competition. Where are people placing their trust? And as a result of their trust, what are they choosing to serve? Who is this competitor to an all-knowing and all-loving God that people are choosing to place their faith in instead of God? Some people are choosing to place their faith in elected officials, and that's unhealthy, but that's a sermon for another day. I believe the real challenger to having God on the throne of our lives is us. People are choosing to trust themselves. Now, that's not necessarily new ever since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they chose to place their trust in their own wisdom instead of the warnings of God. Ever since then, people have been choosing to trust themselves. Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And yet more and more people are leaning on their own understanding. 
As humans get stronger and smarter and more innovative, we start to think we can accomplish everything all on our own. That we only need to look to ourselves for success in life. People are looking back at all that has been accomplished and rather than crediting God for being at work in their lives, acknowledging that all the blessings come from him, they're crediting themselves. People are making themselves the hero in their own story. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, be the hero in your own story. Society is telling us that that's a good thing. Listen to these words from a recent Huffington Post article. You're the main character, and your life is based solely on you. The article goes on to say that it is your strength alone that will help you fight through all the challenges you'll face. If it is to be, it is up to me, is another phrase society is pushing on you. Are you trying to be the hero in your up own story? to me, is another phrase. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and summon horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, some people are choosing to place their hope in what they have control over. They can train their horses to be faster. They can build better chariots. They're putting their faith and their trust in the things of the earth. We have a growing number of people putting their faith in their chariots, in their horses. But my friends, your life is not based solely on what you can do. And thank the Lord for that. See, the next verse in this passage of Psalms says the things of earth are never going to stand the test of time. Those things will collapse and they'll fall. Placing our trust in ourselves will always lead to disappointment. And not only will we not lead ourselves as well as God will lead us, but it sets off a domino effect of some pretty serious and negative consequences. Because remember, you serve what you trust. If you trust yourself rather than God, you are ultimately choosing to serve yourself. And serving yourself is selfish. If you're not trusting that God is on your side, you will start behaving in selfish ways. When you're looking to yourself to meet your own needs, you will always be evaluating whether your needs are being met to your satisfaction, whether you're getting your fair share or whether someone else is getting what you think you deserve. Every situation becomes a time where someone else might get something that you want and so you behave in selfish ways. You don't have to look very hard to realize that more and more people are choosing this option. Selfishness is on the rise. We are seeing more and more evidence of a me first mindset and it's not just coming from our toddlers. Experts say selfish behavior flares up during periods of high anxiety. Does anyone see any reason for high anxiety right now? Do you remember the immediate reaction when the pandemic hit? What did everyone run out and do? It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen, but everyone went out and bought toilet paper at unprecedented rates. I saw social media posts where people had closets filled to the ceiling with toilet paper. There were no personal habits that were actually changing, but everyone took a me-first mindset. Now, that's kind of a lighthearted example but selfishness is on the rise. And selfishness, or a me-first attitude, is a trait that runs counter to the kingdom of God. And it's evidence that we're trusting ourselves to meet our own needs, that we feel we have to take for ourselves 
or get left behind. Jesus teaches that the way to serve God is to serve others. But we can't do that when we're serving ourselves. Even if it looks like we're serving others, we'll be doing it for the wrong reasons. One time recently, I asked a coworker who was incredibly kind and generous and thoughtful, but that I didn't think was a follower of Jesus. I asked them what motivated them to be so kind and generous to others. And their answer was pretty enlightening. They said, because I want people to like me. See, that was a really honest and vulnerable answer, but it revealed a selfishness behind their service. And this is the domino effect that I'm talking about. If our trust is misplaced, then our service becomes misplaced. We will be looking only to ourselves. And our selfish desires can be hiding behind what seems to be service to others. We can become motivated to do good things for bad reasons. We can disguise bad motives with good behavior. And the world won't even know the difference. But God will. We aren't serving others for their sake or for God's sake. We're doing it for our own. And that's selfish. When we serve others in the name of Jesus, we are extending God's kingdom here on earth. We point people to God's plan for their life. But when we serve people out of our own motivations, we are no longer pointing people to God. We're pointing people to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous passage about love, says love is not self-seeking. If we are doing things that are ultimately for ourselves, it isn't love. It isn't service. It's selfish. And it falls short of what God has in store for our lives. I want to say this one more time. You can serve people without serving God, but when you do that, you're really serving yourself, and that is self-serving service, and it's selfish. That tongue twister makes sense? It won't advance God's kingdom. What you do with your life depends on who you trust. If you're trusting yourself, you will always be looking out for number one, and you're never going to have a true kingdom impact on this world. Because all of the ways to impact this world for the kingdom of heaven don't make sense with a heart that is selfish when you're trying to be the hero in your own story. How could God use you? Once you trust him more than you trust yourself, then the opportunities for service to him are going to follow. I can't even begin to predict all of the ways that God might use you, but God wants to use you in the lives of the people around you. That's what it means to serve him. When I used to work at Sioux Falls Seminary, the president of the seminary at the time would say the same thing to graduates every day when he handed them their diploma. He would say, the Lord will use you if you let him. If you let him. You have to let God use you by surrendering to him. I had a coworker recently pay for the meal at a table across the restaurant from where we were sitting, and it was done out of a sense of compassion for the family's special needs child. And it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. He did it anonymously, not drawing any attention to himself. But that's the sort of thing that can happen with a life that trusts in God and is surrendered to him. It wasn't a random act of service. It was a targeted, it wasn't a random act of kindness. It was a targeted act of service. 
And it's the type of way that God can use you when you commit to serving him. We should all be experiencing opportunities for targeted acts of service if our trust is in God. And of course, we should look to Jesus as the ultimate example of selfless living. He had all the power in the world, and yet he used none of it to further his own interests. Not one of his miracles was used to meet his own needs. It was all about restoring people to their heavenly father. Jesus submitted his life to God's plan for humanity. As he was headed to the cross, he said, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus is not only our savior, but he is our best example of what it means to trust God and then to serve God. Do you want to go through life always fighting for your own self-interests? Or do you want to put your trust in the God of the universe who created you and loves you? And then you can watch and see how he might use you in service to him and others. The Israelites had a really funny history when it comes to trusting in God. They'd been asked to trust God before Joshua asked them to at this moment. They'd even said that they trusted God, but time and time again, as soon as things got difficult, they forgot about how God had worked in their lives in the past, and they assumed they were on their own. Their trust became misplaced, and it resulted in selfish and unproductive behavior. Is that your story? Do you say that you trust God until you get to a point in your life where you actually need to trust God? If that's you, you can go through a similar experience as Joshua did when he reminded the Israelites of God's faithfulness, of all the ways that God had been at work in their lives. You too can think back and you can write down all the ways that God has been faithful to you. And as you're looking over that list, you can gain trust in God. You will serve what you trust. And once you trust God, then you can make a commitment to serve God this day and every day. I want to close out our time by giving you an example of what this looks like in my family. How my family can look back and see how God has been at work in our life. I'll start first with our oldest, with Isaiah. Isaiah is a junior in college, and I would talk to Isaiah, and I would say, I want you to think back to three years ago when you were a senior in high school, and you were deciding where you would go to college, and you knew that paying for college was going to be a significant part of that decision. And so for an entire year leading up to that, we prayed over this math formula. We took the cost of college times four years. We subtracted out the savings that Corrine and I had been putting away every month since you're a baby. We knew you'd put yourself in a position for an academic scholarship and an athletic scholarship, but we knew that wouldn't cover everything. So we were praying through this and trying to figure out an appropriate amount of student loan debt. So we felt like it was fair to, ha- to pay for college, but we didn't want the student loan debt to be so significant that it was crippling and limiting life choices. So we prayed through this and we got so specific We prayed specifically for a dollar amount at the bottom of the equation in student loan debt. And Isaiah, the first couple of schools that you looked at and you got your financial aid statements for, those numbers didn't add up. And we were waiting for the financial aid letter from your dream school and praying through this again. And when that financial aid letter came, 
It lined up to the penny the way we'd been praying for a year. And in that moment, you knew that God was intimately involved in all of the details of your life. And a God that's intimately involved in all the details of your life is a God that you can trust. And it's a God that you can choose to serve for the rest of your life. And next, we would talk to Elena. And I would say, Elena, your story is actually pretty similar to Isaiah. You're a senior in high school right now. And you've been thinking through the same thing related to college. And we were praying that the finances would work out right for you as well. And we were waiting for a music scholarship to put together the full financial puzzle and praying specifically. And on the day that your music scholarship letter arrived and you were at work, and I said to Corrine, I said, that music scholarship is going to need to be X amount of dollars for this all to work out. And you got home from work and you opened the letter and surprise, it was X amount of dollars. It was exactly the amount that we'd been praying for. And you too in that moment realized just how much God is at work in your life. And you realized that that's a God that you can trust for the future and that you can serve for the rest of your life. And then last, we would talk to Nadia. We'd say, Nadia, your story's a little different than your brother and your sister. You're in eighth grade, so you're not even thinking about paying for college. But your story involves volleyball. And last year, you didn't make the volleyball team that you wanted. And it was super sad. And so you're thinking about what to do next with volleyball, and you started getting involved in a different volleyball club. And in that volleyball club, this past fall, you had an incredible experience where you were coached by Coach Andrea. And Coach Andrea goes to this church and her entire coaching experience had been at the collegiate level. And so here you are, 14 years old, being coached by somebody that's teaching you things you had no right to expect. And not only was she coaching you in incredible ways, but she was loving you with the love of Christ in a way that you could feel and your teammates could feel and as parents, we could see. And you'd have never had that experience if you'd have made the volleyball team that you wanted to make the year before. And in that moment, you learn that you can trust a God that is redemptive, that God can redeem hard things in your life. And that's a God that you can trust, and it's a God that you can serve for the rest of your life. And now I want to go through that exercise with you. I'm standing here with far less of a relationship than Joshua had with the people that he was leading. I never led you into battle. I never asked God to make the sun stand still on your behalf, and I never ushered you into the promised land. I don't know how God has been at work in your life, but I know that he has. And so with the same passion that Joshua had for the Israelites, I want to encourage you. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's a choice that no one else can make for you. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now let me dismiss you with this blessing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
then go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Have a great day. Thanks for being here.